Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So just before I became the senior minister here, we took an extended break and we ended up at one of those jaunts that you always have to go to when you're in a town that's far away from Sydney. We were up in tropical Cairns and if we were staying up there, then we had to go to the Hartley's Crocodile Farm. And uh, we went to the Hartley's Crocodile Farm. We got shoved in with a whole bunch of tourists into the, this boat that would go out on the water. And, uh, and, and time and time again... Uh, the, the instructors at the front of the boat would say, whatever you do, keep your hands inside the boat. Keep your hands inside the boat. And uh, part of the reason is pretty obvious. You know, I'm thinking, don't tell me to do that. I've been in boats before. I've done the Titanic thing out the front of a friend's cruiser. I, I don't need to keep my hands in the boat until this guy jumps up and he's snapping at chickens that they're hanging over the side of the boat. Anyone been to Hartley's? Anyone been to a croc farm? Yeah. Um, that guy was like five metres, that croc there, and he could take your arm off in a flash. This uh, somewhat extreme, extreme measures that, that they took uh, to keeping our hands inside the boat. But here's the principle. Dangerous environments call for extreme measures. Keep your hands inside the boat. Do not get them outside the boat. Uh, morally dangerous environments call for guardrails. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. A guardrail, as we've been hearing, is a, a system that's designed to stop you from, from drifting off into areas of danger. And if you notice, two guardrails are placed almost always within the safety zone. And so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about guardrails. Last week, em- Emily talked to you about guardrails in your friendships. Emily talked to you about friends. This morning, I want to talk to you about friends with benefits. And uh, it's these sorts of mornings as a preacher and you come up against these texts of the Bible and you'd like, to take, you'd like to take the long way around and can't we just talk about something a little bit easier than this. But I want to talk about moral guardrails. Guardrails in your marriages if you're married. Guardrails that safeguard your marriages. And if you're single, guardrails that safeguard you for marriage. And I recognize that uh, we live in a culture where this is one of the most needed guardrails that you could have in your life today. Part of the reason is it's, it's, uh, it's, it's nothing new. We see this all throughout history and, and some of you are already thinking, great, of all, of all the Sundays that I turn up or a friend invites me to church or I invited my friend to church and the pastor's going to talk about sex. You know, of all, of, of all the times for us to do that, we lucked out we got this Sunday. But, but, but here's the thing, what, what if we could get the view of this thing, sex, right? And, and, and beautiful and wonderful for how it's intended because this is a perfect Sunday to be here because when it comes to people and when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to church, uh, we've, we've mucked this up over the years. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could get this right? And part of the problem is that our culture, why it's so difficult is that our, our culture baits us uh, with sexuality all the time. I mean, imagine if you had, imagine if you had uh, these aliens uh, go down and they, they land on a, on a planet and these aliens go wandering through uh, the university dorms of this planet and all they can see on the side walls of all of these rooms is big pictures of broccoli and on the other wall there, they see up Photoshop close with good lighting and a nice pose of a, of a hamburger, right? 
or they walk out into the street and they, they see this, this full-size billboard for guest jeans and there's guest jeans and then just a meat pie. Now, what, what, what would you conclude about that society? Either their desire is totally out of whack or they're absolutely starving. <laughs> and isn't that true of our culture today? Constantly bombarding being bombarded with sexuality in our society today. And our society says, yeah, sex, we've, we've got it under control. We're, we're modern people. We've got it. We're with it. But it's been, and as a result, you know, it's, it's been messed up either side. If you've lived, it, certainly in this modern century, you, you're going to have whiplash when it comes to sexuality. Because on one hand, I, I, there, there's like the... There's the, the, the under-liberation aspect of sexuality and, and many of you here have grown up in that era where and particularly the church has played a part in this and mucked it up where there's been oppressive and, and repressive attitudes towards sex and as a result it's caused a whole heap of issues down the track for people in that areas of their relationships. But then on the other side, you know, the free love movement of the 70s and the wonderful liberation that happened and, and, and even today all the range of confusing things that are happening for young people. We've now got the over-liberated end of the spectrum and, and we're still not feeling like we're in control of this, right? Why? Why is it so difficult? Would it surprise you that I, I would dare to say that Society, our culture's view of sex and sexuality is, is actually not, not more sophisticated and, and, and higher than the Bible's. It's actually less. In fact, when you come to understand what biblical sexuality is, uh, it's far higher than what society talks about. We'll see that in a second. But the thing that the Bible understands, the reason why we see this imagery, the reason why we see this drive is because the Bible understands that sex is more than just biology. Sex is a power. And if you read the Bible, there are areas of the Bible that would make you blush <laughs> when you go through and read through. Because sex is a good thing and it's a God thing and he created it and he made it and he intended us to be that way. It's a beautiful part of our nature, not something to be repressed, but it's a, it's a dangerous environment. Ever notice those superhero movies? Whenever there's some powerful force or ring or kryptonite or whatever, it's always very tightly contained. You sort of can't let it out of its box. And that is exactly what Paul is speaking into here from a biblical perspective. Because, look, sex from a biblical perspective is like a fire hose. You know, it's like those big firemen's fire hoses. You've seen them where they need like eight people to hold the thing and to direct it towards the context that, on one hand, a fire hose can put out fires and save lives, let that thing unleashed and let it whip around, and it will kill people. And so it is with sex, such is the nature of sex, that in all of its mystery, such is its beauty and its power and how good God designed us, that in its right context, it is as close to the intimacy and the beauty and the power of heaven that you could ever possibly experience. It's as close to that and yet without the same restrictions has the potential not only to hurt, to harm, but to kill the soul. Many of us know that in our society, of the terrible pains when this gets abused. So can't you see from a biblical perspective what Paul is saying in this passage in 1 Corinthians is that um, sex is not an appetite to be satisfied. It's why he says here, you say, 
Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Why is Paul going on about food? It's a wonderful analogy. Perfect analogy. Great thinker. He's he's saying, if if you are absolutely starving, you don't go and wash your hair with pasta. (laughs) You eat it. Because the context for which food interacts in right relationship with the body is the stomach. So if, that is the right, if, if, if the stomach is the right context for food, what then is the right context for sex? And, and, and Paul says here, he uses the language Lord, but we see time and time again the principle in the Bible that the, the right context for sex is covenant relationship. And we could have a whole other sermon on what covenant relationship means. So let me just summarize this for you now. Covenant re- relationship is a covenant, is, is a total commitment. It's not even a word, it's a category of thought. A total commitment to another person. A commitment that says, I know you at your worst, and I still commit to you, and therefore I love you at its best. Does that make sense? covenant notice i don't i didn't say marriage in there specifically because you know there are a lot of marriages that operate today that don't represent the covenant that god has intended for 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 people to have but covenant it's restrictive it's weird it's almost like a box that houses superpowers and so in that sense This is something that we can't play with and needs to be incredibly restrictive into this relationship. And here's part of the reason why. And I'm not a trained psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist. But I've seen time and time again as a pastor this principle that there is a deep mystery of the human condition. um, That something happens to the soul when, when our physical nakedness runs ahead of our emotional nakedness. You see it with people, all sorts of issues start to arise. There's shame and there's, there's guilt. And there's, there's a, a, a brokenness that arises from people who have been in relationships where the physical nakedness has run ahead of their emotional nakedness in a sense of that commitment to covenant. And, and people, people feel that they, they, they sit that. I've sat, I've, sat, I've, sat with, I've sat with someone who, who went on a, a road trip you know, out into the country and they binged on Tinder relationships. The whole time that there were multiple relationships, one after the other. When they're sitting down in my office and on the brink of tears, I can tell you they were hardly feeling liberated. They're hardly feeling joyful and they certainly weren't feeling peace. I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist, I'm coming this at the theology, but what I want you to see here, I know what the, un, the unasked question here is this morning. Really, Sam? Come on. Seriously? It's 21st century, mate. We're we're a modern people. We're not coming back to this stuff, right? All all I can explain to you is that profound mystery that happens with people because I said week one, freedom is not the absence of restrictions but the presence of the right restrictions. You were designed for covenant. You You were designed for this relationship here, this relationship of total commitment. That's when... Sex, and by the way, sex outside of that, it's not saying that sex outside of that is bad. 
Remember, it's a good thing and it's a God thing, but it's about putting things into its rightful place. It's not saying that sex outside of that can't happen. Um, it, it does, and it can be good and wonderful and beautiful, but it's, it's akin to taking a... Who's got a nice watch on? You know, It's like taking a, a beautiful uh, Rolex watch and using it as a doorstop. I mean, it'll still work. <laughs> but not for its God-ordained purpose. Archaic, for me at least personally, um, it, it makes common sense. And I, before we get into the practicalities of sh- sharing how you establish these guardrails, you know, I, I just share from my perspective, you know, as a, as a 28-year-old virgin, I was a statistical anomaly in our society today. And luckily I had the grace of parents who quoted these verses at me verbatim the whole time. <laughs> Some of you are writing it down for your kids. Why didn't I bring him to hear Sam this time? Well, I can tell you that on, on the other side of the years of that longing and lusting and all the rest of the stuff that goes with sexuality and resisting its power and literally those nights of crying and re- resisting those moments of temptation, you know, for Kristen and I in a context of covenant relationship, there's no hang-ups. There, there, there's, there's, no, there's no back stuff. It is, it's nothing but wonder. And it's the moment, if there's anyone who's still in that space, where I'd say, still just hold on. Because this is all that God designed it to be. And it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful thing. And I'm so thankful that on that moment of, of our time together, we could say that is the greatest gift we could bring to each other in the context of marriage. Now, I recognize too, please don't hear me wrong, all of that is a gift of God's grace. Okay? It's not a legalistic thing. It's that, that was God's gift of grace to us. But, but I've experienced the realities of this too. And so if this is more than just, just biology but a power, how do you think then Paul speaks into this? And we see this. Paul's planted a bunch of churches around Corinth. He's written them a whole bunch of instructions to his church. He then tells them, okay, if you're dealing with this power, this is how you deal with it. And this is what he says first up. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee! Um, this, is, this is the one area of the Christian life uh, that completely opposes everything I teach you for the other 51 weeks of the year, by the way. Uh, for this reason, take a look at this picture. This is, what he's, this is what he's saying. If you're right on the edge, get back. If your child is running towards a cliff and they are in dire danger, uh, you don't say to your child, um, son, daughter, can, you know, can we just have a discussion about Newton's law of gravity? <laughs> this is not the place where... Uh, where you sit and have a discussion. Paul says, if you are in the danger zone, get back from the edge. Get back from the edge. Um, Jesus says it as well in, in Matthew chapter 30. He says, but I tell you, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, has, um, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, lustfully, they've already committed adultery with her in, in their heart because if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, hang on, like Jesus, are you overreacting there? Are you overreacting? No, no. Jesus says, stop. If you are that close to these things that lead to danger, stop. Now, is that legalistic? That's what any loving parent would do. So he says, get back from the edge. What it means for some of us today, we know in our heart of hearts that some of us, I've got to ask you, are you, are you fleeing or are you flirting? So one area you just stop. 
Think about what needs to change. And we could get into all the details, but how many different articles are we seeing in papers over the years now where the research comes out, for example, in the areas of pornography? A neuropsychiatrist from Cambridge University in an article in The Guardian it was called Brain Scans of Porn Addicts. Dr. Valerie Boone has recently shown that men who describe themselves as addicted to porn and who have lost a relationship because of it, right? So the guardrail is the, is the porn addiction. That's the guardrail. That's you hit that, remember? It, it, it still damages you, but it's, it's, it's minimized to what could happen. She said that they develop changes in the same brain area, the reward center that changes in drug addicts. We can go backwards and forwards as to whether we want to debate that, but more and more secular scientists are speaking into the dangers of this area. Are you flirting or fleeing? It's so prevalent in our society today. Keep your hands inside the boat, is what I'm saying, okay? Keep your hands inside the boat. It's dangerous. Get back. Get back from the edge. Uh, And the reason why Paul then goes in and says, here's the reason why you just stop. We're not going to have a discussion about it. Stop. He does this because he says then in verse 18b, All other sins people commit outside their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. And so in other words, Paul's saying this is in a totally different category of sin. And and here's why. When you sin sexually, the damage is done. The damage is done. Now, let me get this straight. I'm not saying that sex is a a bad thing. It's a good thing and a God thing. Um, But remember the context for sex. It's, It's in covenant. And here's why it's so dangerous. Here's why you flee, because um, sexual sin is so um, individually and universally damaging. And you see, it's possible to recover financially. And it's even possible to recover from a friendship. But something happens uh, in that sexual sin that, that in some ways can never be undone. And I've, I've, you know, I, we sense this, we know this. We've, we've been there. There's, there's a way in which, in which sexual sin burns itself into the soul the, like the way it does if you leave your computer screen on too long. Like you, you still do life and you can still see the picture and the beauty and the wonder of God, but there will always be a burnt-in, ghosted image there. Forgiven? Yes. Absolutely. Fully escape the consequences? Probably not. So Paul says this is serious stuff. And often at times you come to know there can be general, generational damage. It can undermine future, future intimacy. It can impact your future relationships. It can impact the next generation in children. In fact, uh, Dr. Dan Allender, a, a Christian psych, psychiatrist, puts this wonderfully. He says, um, there, is a, there, is a con, con, there is an amazing return on investment um, for bad in sexual sin. Three minutes in a moment like, there, like that can have an arc of consequences over a lifetime. An incredible return on investment. So doesn't it make sense practically that Paul says flee from all of this? Flee, get away, get away from all of this. Get back from the edge. Because it can impact you in the long run. But then he pivots wonderfully. We're not going to leave it there this morning. He pivots wonderfully. And there is hope coming for all of us. In this space, because he then goes on to say, Look, it's almost this endearing, beautiful, wonderful. He moves from Paul the, Paul, Paul, Paul the teacher now to Paul the, the brother, the father type figure. He says, Come on, 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Whom you've received from God, you're not your own. So here's what he's saying. The, the value of the container is determined by what it contains. There was an article saying that a, an $1,800 Fender Stratocaster 2014 model, normally 1800 bucks, up at Big Music if you want to go and get one, sold for $45,000. How does that happen? Scratches and all, $45,000. Um, the reason is it was autographed by Eric, Clap- Eric Clapton. It was his guitar. And so as a result, the value of the thing's not $1,800, it's $45,000. The value of the container is determined by what it contains. And what you have to understand this morning is that God says you are his beloved child. You are more beautiful and wonderful than you dared imagined. Um, you, you, you are his precious child. And so therefore, it makes no reasonable sense that you would treat that without at least some sense of due caution and prudence. And not only that, the value of a thing is determined by what it will bring. And Paul says the essence of the gospel is this. You want to know what the price of, of you inside that container is? God sent his own son to die for you. That's the essence of it. That's how much you're worth. The cost of his son. And so Paul appeals. He says, just think about it in light of the bigger picture. In, in light of this, in, light, in the light of the, the potential selfishness of sexual sin and the uh, 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 immediate fleeting pleasure that it brings, look at the big picture in terms of who you are and who he's created you to be. And as a result, use that to focus you and to compel you to move forward in his ways. And so that's the question. The one question this morning is, will we, will we flee or will we flirt? You know, some of you are thinking, <clears throat> 25 minutes, not one practical guideline. Um, for good reason. Um, I want us to get the why. Paul wanted us to get the why. If we get the why, you can work out what your guardrails are. And I feel that we're speaking to something here. You're as quiet as I've ever heard you this morning. <laughs> You're probably all just there like, oh, great. We've got the, the, it's like, you all take a bath. It's like the sex talk with dad again. Great. We're going to sit through this for 15 minutes. <laughs> but I want us to be clear on the why. In fact, the what is your homework? The what's your homework, particularly if you're married? The what is your homework? If you're married, engaged, single, de facto, that's your homework to go through and work through. But before, before we, we hit something, uh, before we stray off the edge, what guardrails can we put in place in our relationship now? Are we flirting or fleeing? So here's your homework, marrieds. Talk about it. Go for coffee before you go home today. Um, go up to Crow's Nest. Talk about it. Sit down. Ask the questions. Um, what, what are the guardrails in your relationship going to be? Um, and here are two keys for... It's what Kristen and I work through. Uh, the, first, the first one in our relationship is, is hesitation. Whenever there is a sense that we would have a hesitation to tell, hesitation's the guardrail. If you're starting to hesitate and move into the arena of secrets in your relationship, that's when you know you've hit a guardrail. So the minute that you hesitate, declare it. Be transparent about it. Here's another practical one. I'm drifting. Whenever you start to feel your heart drift emotionally in a connection uh, to someone outside of your marriage, uh, tell your spouse. Be transparent about it. 
Uh, place, place it there. That person may not be a bad person. In fact, they may not even be aware. But just tell your spouse, be transparent about it. Be upfront about it. If I'm going to see this person or I'm going to interact with this person. But what I've also learned in marriage practically for myself is that, that this area of guardrails in your marriage, this is no place um, for justified rationalities. And here's what I mean by that. Um, the fact that Kristen might feel uncomfortable about a situation is the fact. She's got every right to be irrational in this area. If, if, if a dynamic or a relationship makes her uneasy, that's a guardrail. And she has every right to speak into that. So marrieds talk about it. Um, singles. Some of you have been sitting through this thinking, what does this mean? And there's lots of wrestles in, in all of that. Here's what I would say to you. Um, I think here's what it means for a single. Uh, um, some, something that Kristen and I talk through when we, we talk about the dynamic of, of interactions with other people is, is she says this, you know, I say, hon, what's, what's the big deal? You know, what's, what's, the, what's the big deal? And she said to me once, look, they don't have to pick up your smelly socks. <laughs> they don't have, the other person doesn't have to pick up your smelly socks. And here's what she means by that. I think it's, and it's, it's the principle for singles. Um, is that outside of covenant, um, sexuality is always two-dimensionalized. And, and, and my own experience before being married with sexuality is that you, sexuality baits you so much it can turn into an infatuation, an infatuation with the act itself, but an infatuation with a person. But an infatuation is always the projection of your imagination onto that other person. In other words, you don't have to deal with that person's smelly socks. And you don't see that person at their worst. And so that's the whole thing that baits you. It's very easy to paint a two-dimensional picture of someone or the act in and of itself. And what else is social media, by the way, if you're single? And what else is every other dating site, which can be a wonderful connection for people? And I've married people that have met on dating sites. But, but what, is, what is social media and, and dating sites other than marketing, advertising, and a two-dimensionalization machine? So singles, I would say, um, watch your infatuation. Um, Get to know the person behind all of that. And at least if I can speak to you personally, I can say it's worth the wait. So will we flirt or flee? And there's one thing I want to say to you finally this morning. I want you to get this. I wish I could say so much more. Um, And ironically, when... Uh, when Paul Young, the author of The Shack, is here to talk about the heart of man, it's all around this issue, ironically. So we can expand a bit on this a bit more uh, in, in an interview uh, with him in a couple of weeks' time. But here's, here's what I want to get for all of us. Um, when it comes to sex, there is a better yes. There, there, there is a better context. And some of you say, well, I have the right to do anything, which was what was said in this passage. Yeah, of course you do. But there's a better yes. Um, sex, sexuality, those things, the pleasure we feel, that's canapes, that's hors d'oeuvres, that's appetizers. For the cosmic and the infinite pleasure that we will feel soon, very soon, comparatively, for all of eternity. So subordinate that to that. See sex not as an end in and of itself, but a pointer to the cosmic intimacy that all of us who are in Christ are promised. But I want to leave without 
saying this this morning. And, and if anything, I want people in this room to get this. If anything, I want you to rejoice in the grace over your sexual past. Because there's a passage in this 1 Corinthians 6 that we didn't even read through or from and I found this weak and the church is mucked up and stuffed up and used and abused and not given everyone the whole context but if you just scroll up in your Bibles from verse 9 onwards it says do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral or the idolaters or the adulterers etc etc inherit the kingdom of God and people and churches leave it at that and listen to what Paul says and he says and this is what some of you were but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God anything I want to get for anyone who thinks that their life is defined by those categories that is what you were and the greatest risk if that is you is that you can think that your shame and your guilt would give you every license to give up and to not step forward into God's wonderful, beautiful plan for sex and covenant relationship. That's what you were. So, I'm sure many of us are going to walk out of this place thinking, oh my goodness, it'll be, it'll be everything from that was great, Sam, that was unbelievable, to I can't believe I just turned up to a church that still talks about like that, like that in the 21st century. But all I can see is I feel just personally, this makes common sense. Establish a guardrail like this now in your single life, in your marriage. What's the probabilities that you're going to get five years down the track after establishing that guardrail and going, oh my goodness, I wish I'd never turned up to that church service and heard that message about sex because it's made my life so restrictive and so unjoyful and I'm, I wished I'd never have done it. What's the probability? I'm, I, I doubt that we're going to regret this. I doubt the ones that you love are going to regret this. And so may we do that with God's help. Will we flee or flirt with this? There are things some of us need to do now. This morning. To flee. And to step into the future that he has for each and every one of us. There are some of us here this morning that are feeling guilty about their sexual past. Don't. It's who you were. Not who you are. You have no idea of the truth of the glory of your being. You were bought for a price. You matter. Leave this place, please, knowing that. But think about it. Talk about it. Do something about it. You already wish you had, which means you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father, I can't help, all of us can't help but feel the reality and the gravity of what we've been talking through today. Lord, I, I beg that your spirit would have been flowing in and amongst us. It would have been speaking to us, convicting us, calming us, comforting us. So Lord, I pray that in... Um, these moments, particularly of ministry now, as we head into the ministry of anointing, Lord, that you would do uh, 
what we've prayed for, that there would be a redemption, that there would be renewal, that there would be a restoration of the soul in this space, Heavenly Father, um, that there would be a renewal of the vision and the beauty of what that which you have gifted to us. And so, Lord, speak to each and every one of us. Deal with us in a way that only your spirit can individually. And we commit this to you. And we pray that we're the better because of it, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.